Over 33,000 lives were lost to the opioid overdose in 2015. That's 91 people dying each day. That's according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Statistics. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, and welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. We're taking a look at opioid addiction this month, many of the issues surrounding it. And today I have with me a specialist, an addiction specialist named Dr. Isaac Alexis. He is medical director of the Lifelong Addiction Center on the latest treatments. He's going to talk about signs and addiction and how you can help someone you love. I want to first of all welcome you to the program I greatly appreciate your being here. You're the author of the book, Life and Death, Behind the Brick and Razor, Code Red Diamond. Hi, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dr. McDonough. It's a pleasure being on your show. Thank you once again. Tell me a little bit about your view of the opioid addiction and what's going on with this epidemic. It's certainly getting a great deal of attention, as it should. Oh, definitely, definitely, by far. The opioid addiction is affecting people. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic strata, doesn't matter what neighborhood you're from, we've had approximately 500,000 people die from the opioid epidemic ever since 2000 to 2015. We're looking at at least 2.5 million people addicted to opioids, 100 people dying each day, one person dying pretty much every 15 minutes. And so I have people coming in, grandmothers, grandchildren, young mothers, who basically mourning friends, relatives who have died from heroin overdoses. And so it's definitely, rightfully so, in the news, and we have to do all we can in society to stop all of these deaths. For those of us old enough to remember heroin, you know, there used to be always a lot of police shows on TV, and it was always the heroin addict doing intravenous heroin on the streets, and this was, you know, the 60s and 70s, and then we didn't hear much about it. People seemed to turn to cocaine, and they turned to other drugs of abuse. When did the opioid problem hit again, or has it always been there just bubbling under the surface? I would say it has always been there bubbling under the surface. My cousin died of drug overdose opioids approximately 30 years ago in Brooklyn, New York, and it's always been there. But now the fact that, you know, we have such high numbers, increased numbers of people dying from it, now it's really gaining national as well as international headlines. If you look at it, you got close to 40 million people addicted worldwide to opioids, and you have even increased number of arrests related to opioid addiction. And I think the main way for people to prevent these deaths in the first place is to not see it as a moral failure, but rather to see it as a complex neurobiological disease. I mean, the brain morphologically changes with drug addiction. We have a physician audience, and clearly, you know, a lot of us are dealing with this, and most of us, I'm sure, are dealing with it to one extreme or the other. There is a stigma associated with it. There's no doubt that patients that we treat who are addicted to pain medications, opioids, and others are often the ones who complain the most. They want their way. Primary care providers in particular get frustrated because they're drawing up pain contracts, trying to work with an issue, and it seems that in the communities many of us serve, there aren't that many people out there to help. There aren't specialists who will take over the prescription of pain medication and managing it. So you have a lot of people who aren't really that well-trained, essentially, in this area, trying to pick up whatever knowledge they can in dealing with it. What do you see as the way to get out of that trap? Because that seems to be a problem all over the country. Oh, definitely. And I agree with you 100%. Just that difficulty, a lot of the patients, we, you know, we feel are uh, pain-seeking, and definitely there are that select group. It seems like it's growing and growing, for sure. I think 
do that when we see, though, because it does take as little as like 14 to 21 days to become addicted actually to opioid after a patient maybe fractured one of the long bones and, you know, they're experiencing that continuous pain and then it doesn't take long before, as uh, long as they thought, just give me another week, just give me another week. And as physicians, it's so frustrating because we repeat that one week maybe two or three times and then unfortunately at that point in time then it can be so much harder to wean them off that medication especially if they don't want to go to physical therapy they don't want to lots of times go and engage other modalities of care you know beyond just wanting the physician to prescribe an additional week's supply of opioids so a lot of times it ties us as a physician, it ties our hands behind our back, so it can be extremely challenging. But I would say when you see this problem, try to get them to treatment center as quick as possible, have that face-to-face conversation, take an extra 10 minutes to talk to them about that there may be an issue that they could be possibly becoming hooked to this medication, even though in today's day and age, it's uh, 30 to 40 patients a day, and it doesn't leave us as physicians a lot of time to really sit down and talk our patient, so it is a challenge. So you bring up a really interesting point. I'm glad you brought it up for our audience. You're saying that it could just be two, maybe three weeks of these medications, and someone literally can be addicted and be on their way. Exactly. So what do we do? Like I know, for instance, there's a program at the University of Pennsylvania near where I practice where they have hip replacement surgery, but they go with IV acetaminophen, and they try to, to avoid the opioids at all costs. There's others who won't do it. But then, you, you know, you still see emergency rooms where they're just handing it out like candy or surgeons saying, oh, I'll just take a week or two of this. And do you think there's a realization and understanding in the medical community about these meds? I think there still has to be a lot more education conducted in the medical community. A lot of my patients, for instance, after they might have had acute kidney stones or nephrolithiasis, and I usually do maybe three days at maximum of prescription opioid, and after that point, I let them know that we'll do other therapies, whether it be Tiger Bomb or other modalities, but I try to make it as quick as possible that I get them off of the medication. And lots of musculoskeletal patients that I have that have a history of, of fracture, you know, after that one week, two weeks maybe of prescribing that opioid, physical therapy is the foundation, sometimes cognitive behavioral therapy is another modality, and then I use Tiger Bomb. I've done that to myself when I fractured my own bone playing football. Uh, I've used Tiger Bomb. I did Motrin, uh, 400 milligram. I did one time, then I used a uh, very good, strong analgesic Tiger Bomb, and that really helped a lot. So I think it's just a lot of sitting down and having that conversation with the patient. So when you deal with pain and pain medications with patients, what's your feeling about the patient online surveys or hospital surveys which talk about pain as the fifth vital sign and doctors getting necessarily rewarded for treating pain and getting penalized for being aggressive. Do you see that as an issue? Definitely, because a lot of times that online survey, the doctor can get pulled into the office by the administrator of that hospital, that healthcare facility, and it's always that stress on the doctor. In the 10 minutes that you have to see that patient, you've got to fulfill and supersede all of the expectation. This falls back on the hospital. If they don't have the highest scores, their five-star rankings can be at risk. And, you know, the pressure 
always falls in the lap of physician, and definitely pain is a critical matter to consider. But also, I think hospitals, administrators, CEOs have to be educated that, yes, pain is important, but at the same time, we want to walk in that very thin shade of gray to know that, yes, we want to balance patient care, patient welfare, and, of course, their pain, but also at the same time, we want to make sure that the patient doesn't take all this medication, eventually become addicted to it, and then that can create adverse sequelae uh, down the road. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, your host. My guest is Dr. Isaac Alexis. His book, Life and Death, Behind the Brick and Razor, Code Red Diamond, shares his experiences as a physician in correctional medical facilities. I wanted to talk about that, too. We're talking about drug overdose. We're talking about opioids and things. But you actually worked in the justice system. Tell me a little about that, because it has to be fascinating. Definitely. There's a very fine line, of course, uh, patients that have, for instance, sickle cell uh, crisis, patients that have had fractured tibia, fibias from running from the police, jumping two stories out of a building and landing foot first. And so they have legitimate pain, but that fine balance of knowing when to start opioid and then when to gradually wean them off, it was fascinating. It really sharpened my, in learning when the patient is telling the truth and when they're not necessarily telling the truth. And it always kept me on my tippy toes clinically. Is that where you first developed your interest? Did you first develop your interest when you were dealing with people in the correctional facilities? Uh, actually, it goes way before that when I was doing research at Columbia University in neurobiology and neuroscience, just looking at the brain, looking at how morphologic changes occur with various behaviors, looking at reward circuitry of the human brain. That has always fascinated me, how one brain cell talks to another brain cell, how behavior develops as a result. That has always been interesting. In fact, I had a one-on-one consorting with Dr. Eric Kandel, who won the Nobel Prize in Medicine, in how behavior changes at the level of the synapse. And that has always fascinated me from that point 25 years ago. What do you see as the next steps in controlling pain and dealing with it? What are the best things? Let's say you have a patient. They've had back pain and maybe they've had surgery. Maybe they have not fallen prey to opioids, but, you know, it's their six months. They've had surgery. They're still in pain. They're looking at something to help them, but they want to avoid opioids, but they just are dealing with this chronic pain. What do we have out there now? For chronic pain, I've recommended a ton of my patients analgesic bombs like Tiger Bomb, which works very, very well. Some people have also considered transdermal cannabinoids that have that much less risk of depression. There's less CB1, CB2 cannabinoid receptors in the brainstem, less risk of respiratory depression, and also that has been used in patients, for instance, that have had cancer pain, patients that have had uh, severe neuropathic pain, secondary to diabetic neuropathy, uh, fibromyalgia. There's of course, the classical neurofeedback modalities to deal with pains. There's neuroelectroencephalographic feedback modalities. There's various modalities of transcranial stimulation dealing with pain, nociceptive pathways. So those are all the various modalities that are out there. When you talk about Tiger Bomb, which essentially is a menthol product, right? When you deal with that, what are the side effects or concerns you have associated with that? Anything? Side effects would include if they've had any prior dermatologic 
reactions to menstrual products. Of course, that will be a no-go for them. Or if they've had open wounds, abscess, puncture wounds, or lacerations, then that would be a no-go. But if the skin is pretty much well-closed, I have used that, uh, family members have used that, and it really worked very well. Patients that have used that that normally would have requested the opioid for me, I actually have issued that, and that has worked very well for them, and that pretty much removed an additional three to four days of opioid. I substitute Tiger Bomb in its place, and that actually has worked quite well for them. So you're doing that when you're getting them off the opioids, not as a chronic treatment? I do that Tiger Bomb. I mean, sometimes it's PRM basis as they need it. Some actually use it on a daily basis, and, you know, pretty much that helps them a lot as well. And they said that it works good in relieving headaches, migraines, uh, sore throats, uh, things that, you know, typically we may have used opioid for. I want to basically use every modality to get us away from that. I definitely can see it in kidney stone pain, you know, an acute fracture, utilizing maybe a five-day supply of opioid, but I try to get them off and away from opioid as quickly as possible. One last question for you before we go, and that is, what advice would you give the practicing physicians out there to deal with the opioid issue as we see it right now? I would say, first thing, don't judge a patient. This affects people of all socioeconomic strata, and if you do suspect patient is now addicted to opioids, try to get them into a certified opioid treatment center, and I think that will encourage more patients over time to come forward for treatment, and they won't start to substitute opioids for heroin, which could be laced with carfentanil, an elephant tranquilizer that can kill them, you know, secondary to massive respiratory depression. Dr. Isaac Alexis, I want to thank you for joining us on Primary Care today on ReachMD. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. McDonough. It's truly a pleasure being on your show today. Thank you for taking time out of your very valuable schedule and valuable time to speak with me and America this evening. God bless you and your family. Thank you so much for joining us. And to everyone listening, thank you for listening.